0: In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 239 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the very clever, Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Now, I understand we're kicking the show off with an interesting link that you found from the (laughs) Daily Mail of all places called Dogs Behaving Badly. Despairing owners capture their pesky pooches, breaking into fridges, jumping in toilets and eating wallpaper in hilarious
2: photos. (laughs) So... I think uh a lot of our listeners are uh animal lovers and will would yeah. would appreciate these images but I do love to see photos of dogs behaving badly yeah. and like you know that they're remorseful as well when they do stuff like you can just see yes, that you, you go can tell. they know they've done something wrong and it's like when you see the images uh, there's just some rippers in this uh, article and we'll link that in the show notes at dot com. but you know <laughs> There's a a photo of like the three uh, puppies and I swear one of them is holding one into the toilet. (laughs)
0: Yes,
1: (laughs) yes. It's a classic. (laughs) I like the one of the puppy who's doing a poo on the dashboard.
2: Well, yes, (laughs) that is a a bit much. Uh, And then the dog that's in the fridge with the the meat, you see that one? And then like the classic one that you see is where the dogs are left at home all day and you've got the cushions aren't cheap, you know, Val, good ones, but they're not cheap. And especially the ones that are filled with um, the really nice ones are filled with uh, real feathers, and so that yes. with a, combined with a dog that's bored all day, you get the image of the dog like laying back in this carnage. that's looks like he's slaughtered like 20 uh, geese or something. Yeah,
1: that's couch. great. So if you want to laugh, everyone, we'll put the link in the show notes. But um, yes, dogs behaving badly. But apart from that, Gina, this, so if you're new to this, this isn't, you know, a show about dogs behaving badly. It is actually about photography because Gina is an awesome photographer and I love learning photography from her. So
2: Gina, what have you been up to lately? Oh, so I've just wrapped a big shoot and it's like, like in an ideal world, what every photographer wants to have is a situation where you have uh, a shoot ready to go and the, the client will say, these are the shots you want and you've got time to like, Think about it, set up your lights, tweak, look at the back of your screen and like really think have have the time to uh, work through the shoot carefully and have all the time that you need but the reality is it's never how it happens it's always under pressure and so I think that uh, all the stuff that we talk about in in this podcast is teaching everyone how to have uh, all the skills under belt. It. it's like when you learn um, how to it's probably not a good example for you val when you learn how to cook something <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess like when, uh, when you learn how to, uh, cause you're, this is something that I see that you're very, very good at and I'm actually envious of how you type.
1: Oh, right. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, because like, you know, like you can type with your eye, you could type bl- blindfolded, right? You know how to touch type. So when you're yes. typing and you, you type with great enthusiasm.
1: I do <laughs> type with enthusiasm. That's perfect.
2: This was a learned skill. So, the first time you typed, you didn't know that, you know, T is above G and just across there's an R and then there's E and D underneath that, right? But now you know intuitively how to do that. So, you can just type. And so, I think photography is the same. And the more you do it, the better you get. And so, to be able to just back yourself in those situations where you are put under pressure. And that's like yesterday was, you know, you get the talent for three minutes, but meanwhile there's 40 other things going on at the same time. And, you know, you've just got to really back yourself. But you know what? What? They're my favourite shoots.
1: Yeah, you kind of thrive off that. I do because
2: um, I love it because I don't physically have time to think. And so mm. you're acting from a place of intuition, and it kind of that's uh, a lot of the time when the good stuff happens. Like those ideas happen, and you don't have time to uh, have that battle in your mind going, "That's not a good idea. That's a shit idea. You should do that." That's you know, there's no time. You just got to act. So yeah, yeah, I really love that. So that's uh that's what I've been doing, and then. Along with that, I've been working on some new tutorials for the Goldies and then we've been, uh, you know, answering their questions and uh, workshopping stuff for them. So that's always exciting and keeping me busy, Val.
1: Yes, and if you're interested in working with Gina in our awesome gold community, have a listen to this.
2: Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production, you get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surfers in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Goal community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All
1: right, so we are on to this week's topic, which is all about how to photograph pets with multi-award winning photographer, Craig Bullock. Now, I'm so looking forward to this because as you know, I have many pets and I love them and I love photographing them. My photos are nowhere near as fantastic as Craig's shots. His Oh, I mean, his photography is absolutely stunning. It, if you want to check out um, his website, we'll have a link in the show notes, but otherwise you can check it out at photography, as in F-U-R-tography, dot co dot nz and it's worth having a look at because the photos that he's done mainly of dogs there are some cats but they're mainly of dogs are just stunning and I just love 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 um, gorgeous cute shots I know there are many people who uh, do some pet, for pet photography who are in the gold community and also the wider listener community and I just think it's the most fun thing don't
2: you? Fun thing. Yeah, I love it. And and he, he not only are his images beautiful, technically, he's a great shooter, but he captures the soul of the animal and the personality. Mm. And that's not easy. I mean, you can take a snapshot and go, yeah, that's a cute dog or that's a cute cat. But the amount of work that Craig puts into his images, and it's like it's all the stuff that we talk about, how to get a good portrait shot this is how Craig approaches getting a great for for pets
1: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. gorgeous and one thing that we want to acknowledge is that Gina spoke to Craig who is based in New Zealand uh, a little while ago and it was actually before the terrible tragedy that has occurred. Um, in Christchurch where um, there has been, you know, a shooting at a a mosque and our hearts go out to all of the victims and their families and, of course, the people of New Zealand um, at at this terrible, terrible event. Um, So this interview was recorded um, before... That happened, um, but we wanted just to let you guys know about that. So, Gina, can you tell us
2: a little bit about Craig? So, Craig's a multi award winning professional dog photographer, and he's a pet photographer. But I think ninety percent of his work is photographing dogs. And as you as you said already, he's based in New Zealand. He regularly travels the world capturing and working with not only private clients but also commercial clients to capture their, their dream images. Uh, in Get this, in 2018, he won the title of New Zealand Portrait Photographer of the Year and it was the first time in the 80-year history of the New Zealand Institute of Professional Photographers that the award was given to images of non-humans. How cool is that? I love
1: that. That is fantastic. Isn't that? Oh, my goodness. Because
2: I look at his images and I see beautiful portraits, you know, and he captures – he really does. He captures this – I I think before you listen to the interview, I think it's a good idea, if you can, to have a look at some of his work, because it really is outstanding. As well as that, this guy is so talented. He regularly works with animal charities, and he's, Mm. uh, so far, has been the photographer author of three best-selling books, including Quake Dogs. Uh, and uh, quite cats and a dog's life so uh, he's just very very clever so in this interview he takes us through how he broke into into photography and also he walks us through a shoot and what he does and he he's very generous with his information and you can hear me in the interview going "Eh, you do it like that really that's amazing you know and uh also that the kind of gear that he shoots with which is uh again surprised me and uh like there's just so much amazing content uh for you guys so um shall we have a listen Sure, and just a little note for some of our um,
1: listeners from far away, the the books that Gina mentioned were Quake, as in Q-U-A-K-E, dogs and quake cats, and uh, that is a project that Craig worked on in the aftermath of the Christchurch earthquake, which was a few years ago, and where where there are stories and photos of cats and dogs that... um, survived and, and, and uh, the earthquake and, and what happened to them. So that's just a bit of context for you. But, yes, let's have a listen to Craig Bullock.
2: Craig Bullock, welcome to the show. How are you going?
3: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing good, thank you.
2: I'm so excited to chat with you today and I thank you. You're a, about to embark on a, a big tour of New Zealand, is that right? So I've caught you on the day that you're
3: packing, is that right? Yeah, today is packing day and as always, it's uh, very m- much last minute for me. So how do you go with packing? Do you uh, always have enough undies on
2: the day that you're d- packing or do you go out and buy them when you get to the location? I- I'm a big uh, fan
3: of doing that. I usually have enough uh, enough for the trip, so, you know, it's it's going to last me. It's only a fairly short trip really before I get to stop back in at least and refuel and uh, and then head back off. So I'm going up to the North Island first for a week or so. Then we're checking back in for a couple of days in Christchurch where I live. So then I can do my laundry yeah, and then I head back off again. So w- where in the world are you right now? So I'm in Christchurch, Christchurch right now. Christchurch in New Zealand. So
2: yeah. you're in the future a couple of hours, which is odd hours. for me. Mm. Yeah,
3: it's it's, uh, it's after lunch now for me, so... <laughs> oh, fantastic! Uh,
2: I love your work. It's beautiful. Uh, you really capture the soul of the animals that you photograph. H- how did you? How did you break into photography?
3: Um, it was really through the animals that I, I actually got into photography. I um, I had a an interest in photography at school. I, I studied art, and as part of that, I did some photography, but I didn't really pick up a camera after that until i got a job in the guernsey bird gardens um which is guernsey is the island that i grew up on in, in the um british channel channel islands um and so i then started taking photos of the birds that um that i was working with and we had we had everything parrots and birds of prey vultures penguins uh, cranes you name it so i had i had mm. a, a great time photographing them while I was working what
2: an amazing place to grow up what a beautiful island I'd never heard of it before
3: how many people live on the island um it's it's about 60,000 the population um and it's it's pretty small it's it's quite a lot of people crammed into a to a small place but but it is it is a beautiful little spot as well Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so I was very lucky to grow up there um and then um yeah so so after um after i uh, the the bird garden's closed down unfortunately and after that i went and worked uh in a photo lab yeah and so i thought okay well i've been taking photos of birds i really, really like photography i can be a photographer and so i started doing photography jobs and people were paying me for weddings portraits Uh, you know, you name it. If people wanted to give me money for it, I would go out and shoot it. Yeah. Um, I very quickly realised that that my love of the camera came purely from my love of the animals. And I stopped doing people, weddings, whatever, and just went back to doing the animal stuff. And it just grew from there. I, I started photographing Um, my pets my uh, friends and family were asking me to do theirs and then you know then suddenly I was finding myself having you know my friends work colleagues were approaching me and paying me for shooting uh, their their dogs and and all the rest of it so it just kind of grew into a into a pet photography business from there so I've been uh, pets only um, since 2001
2: so just going back to the working in a in a lab uh in what yep. were you doing there what was your role in the in the uh, camera lab so
3: i was i was processing film so c41 uh, c41 absolutely um and um and and printing so, so I pe-
2: was it the domestic market or was it for photographers
3: it was it was a domestic market um so um yeah and and I loved doing that whole process and and working and and when I you know when you I think I think the same for anybody that has worked in a in a lab before and you're checking the print quality and you you know you're grading and you're looking at the images that you're printing you like you feel like you've been all around the world on holiday until you've see until you see the same photos fifty times from different people over the years or whatever. Are so, you
2: looking at people's photos? Because I've always wondered that how closely are the people that work in labs looking at your photos. Uh,
3: you don't not not really. You're just kind of <laughs> flicking through and it's really more a check to make sure that there's no problem with the paper or yep. anything like that. But of course occasionally something will catch your eye and you can't help having a better look at it and go, Oh, that's a really nice photo of yeah uh, the Great Wall of China or, you know, whatever. Um but, but just as part of really of the quality check. But, no, we don't, we don't or certainly in our lab or all the labs that I've worked in, we don't kind of go one by one through photos going, oh, yeah, oh, this is good. Oh, look what they've done now sort of thing. We're not, <laughs> that wasn't what we were doing at all. Um, so
2: did that give you an idea of uh, looking at so many domestic images? Did that give you an idea of what was a good photo and what wasn't?
3: Uh, it definitely gave me an idea of what wasn't. Yes. Which, uh, might might sound a bit mean, but um, yeah. But you know we you know we were we were of course uh, I was doing that of course when you know everybody was using a single use camera on their holiday or whatever so um, the images weren't weren't often great but uh, occasionally you did you'd get uh, you'd get a roll of film come through where you went ah now this person knows what they're doing and they must have you know they must have had an actual camera. And known what what they were doing with it, and, and you kind of do go ah oh, okay, so this is this is quite nice. So yeah, and um, that was yeah that was, uh, I guess part of the learning as well.
2: Yeah. So how did you go from working in a lab to getting your first paid gig?
3: Um, I did I did a lot of sales on the shop floor as well.
2: Yeah, like um, like selling cameras.
3: Yes, absolutely. Right. So I, I was selling And I loved that side of the – I loved all aspects of the industry. Um, and I loved seeing the new stuff as it was coming in. And I was around at the time when her APS came and went, yeah. um, if you remember, APS cameras. Um, so, yeah, I loved that whole part of part of the industry as well and seeing that side of it. And then, yeah, I mean, I had – my first paid client was a, a friend – a work colleague of a friend um so I had a friend who i photographed her cat yeah for her and that so your goes, first
2: paid gig was actually doing a
3: cat uh yes right. it was yeah my my first paid job was a cat, and,
2: and how had, was that experience what like so what camera did you
3: have at the time uh I had a canon eos. Mm, I wanna say three hundred, but I'm not sure if that's right or not, so we're we talking um, film or are we now yep, on yeah camera. Still film, yeah, yeah absolutely um and um yeah and i i know cats i have my i had my own cats at home, and um so I quite enjoyed doing that with with cats and then um we we didn't have a dog i I had a dog when I was uh eight or nine I think our our family dog would have passed away about then and we never had a dog after that but we had cats at home um so then after I photographed
2: hang on I'm going to take you back to this cat shoot yeah yeah so your very first paid gig yes you had your film camera how did you shoot it did you shoot on auto did you know
3: about lighting what did you do tell me about that first shoot I would have been shooting On a mixture back then of auto and aperture priority.
2: Okay, and so how how did you take us through this first
3: shoot? What what did you do with this first (laughs) cat shoot that you did? Back away now. Yeah. So um, so so I mean we we did it indoors. Yeah. It was in it was in it was in her lounge. Um, the light wasn't amazing. What? So what light were you using? Window light. Um, So we had window light, Mm -hmm. and I did have a speed light on top of the camera, which I um, was using, and I bounced that off of the ceiling. Right. Um, And gosh. So, uh, So
2: before you went to do this shoot, did you think about how you were going to pose the cat and what you were going to do, or did you just rock up and hope for the best?
3: Oh, i i i I had a vague idea of of what I wanted to do, but um cats are cats yeah, and sure and are. you know you you have to work on their terms really and and so even even back then when I'd only really been photographing my own, i kind of I'd realized that that I couldn't make a cat do something it didn't want to do yep so um so it was fairly um free to to interpret how the cat was feeling and and what what um what she wanted to do. Um, and she was quite obliging actually. It was only a fairly young cat, a kitten. She was quite inquisitive about everything, um, so it was nice and easy to work with her and get her attention with a bit of a, a flick of a toy or, um, or I can't even remember. I can't even remember if we used any treats or anything to try and tempt her on that one. But...
2: And so, were you confident on this shoot? Did you feel like, will you walk away going, this is great? I'm good at this. I should do this for a living. I, I guess I did in some yeah. ways. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, I did, I guess. And and then, yeah, then then Roz, um Ros loved the images. Yeah. Um, she, of course, showed all her friends. Yeah. And, and I guess it was lucky because she was a, a vet nurse at the time. Yeah. And showed her friends at work who are vet nurses and vets and, and a couple of them booked me to photograph their animals after that so I did a couple of shoots for for her work colleagues with um I think uh gosh uh I can remember the dog's name Ozzy and Orca <laughs> uh were two I can't remember the breed although it was it was a breed that you don't see around a lot and then um Cracker and Bella two border collies yeah
2: um,
3: so those were my those were my next couple of jobs after that I think
2: and so these were outside or inside? So they
3: were outside. Yeah, yeah, um, on location. Um,
2: so again, did you plan
3: how you wanted the shots to look?
2: What was your thought process going through these early photo
3: shoots? Um, again, I've I made a kind of a loose plan. The mm-hmm. two border collies was at a farm property. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of make those look a bit, you know, like working dog kind of style shots that you could see that they were on a farm and incorporate some of that background into the images as well yeah um which is something that I've ended up doing a lot through my whole yeah career as a photographer um and I remember one particular shot um that I got that day which I was really proud of um that was so they were sitting were well, not quite sitting, it was kind of they were just kind of stepping their feet forwards from the sit and um and the horse is in the stable in the background with his head perfectly in the middle of the of the stable door sort of thing wow. and so yeah. I remember that, and I remember that was that was maybe the first time I'd got an image that I was really proud of, yeah um and I still have that image on my hard drive now, and I'm not so proud of it now. But um, but I still can look back at that one and go, well, that's not terrible, um, <laughs> which is more than I can say for a lot of my early images. So so would you
2: say that that image was probably a turning point where you did something in that image where you went, wait, there's something here. I should investigate this.
3: Um, possibly subconsciously, I yeah. don't. I don't know. I, I I think only recently I've been um, really conscious of the kind of continuation of the the development of the the style of images I'm creating um and um I, I was I was working with a, a business coach who said oh I can see this kind of style in your image yeah, and yeah. I'm like oh my god you're right and I yeah. was completely blown away because I'd never yeah. made that kind of link to it myself before um but now she's told me that it's there it became so obvious that yeah there is that kind of continuous um yeah. style and development that I've I've gone through over the over the last few years so
2: I mean for for someone who's learning photography you can look at at photographers who are established and successful and the belief is well they were obviously born with this skill and they were always amazing at taking photos and so in that early period for you what would you say uh, when you did a shoot, was it every single shoot you did successful? And you walked away feeling like, yeah, I, like I I nailed that image, or or did you I- experiment a lot? And were there uh, a lot of uh, were, were there shoots where you go it, it, that just didn't work?
3: Um, I, it's probably a mixture of all yeah, of the yeah. above. Yeah. I um I guess more often than not um I. And still to this day, I often will walk away from a shoot and think, oh, my God, I don't know how well that went. Um, And I hope the images are okay. And, you know, and then you look at them for the first time and you think, oh, these aren't that good. And then you've got to step away. And I I often will step away now for a couple of days after the shoot and then go back to the images because, um, you know, working with animals is it is spontaneous and you have to be free and, and what I would not so much now but going back to that kind of earlier time when I was making a kind of a more definitive plan and I so I'd gone from those really early shoots with having a rough idea of what I wanted to do and then loosely shooting around it to a period of time when I was planning shoots more specifically saying I want to get this shot yeah this is the shot I want to do and this is what I have to do but you get there and then on the day the dogs just don't cooperate and you have to think of something else and do something else. Yeah. Um. Because uh, my philosophy around working with, with animals for my whole career right from the get-go is that I never want to put them in an uncomfortable or stressful situation. Right. It's all about them and making sure they're comfortable and knowing what they can and can't do and, and will and won't do. So after that I was kind of – going oh well the dogs didn't want to do that today so now I have no other plans and I have to like wing it and spontaneously come up with another idea and then I'd go home and really beat myself up because I didn't get the shot that I said I was going to go out and get because it wasn't just wasn't going to happen on the day.
2: So and so with the-, the shot you didn't get was that a uh, uh, uh- because of uh, technical errors, like you weren't shooting at a fast
3: enough shutter speed, or just um, that the dog didn't do what no, you it wanted was it to mostly do. Mostly just because either I hadn't maybe researched the location properly, so the light was wrong. Right. Or just that, or just the dogs didn't research. Uh, the, the dogs didn't want to do it. I, I, I don't think that there were like huge amounts of technical issues. Right. So by that time I was shooting digital so I yep. could see what I was doing.
0: Yeah.
3: Um I remember it took me a long time to click with action shots because of because most of the time I was using too slow a shutter speed. Right. But um but but it was it was mostly about whether I could get the dogs to do what I wanted to do, I think. And and then it does and then I get home and you know I've got a hundred shots which are really nice and they're perfectly suitable for a client to put on their wall or whatever but it wasn't the idea I had in my head, so therefore all those images were rubbish.
2: Right, okay, so you're beating um, yourself up. So yeah. at what point were you starting to uh, think more about the importance of light in the image to, to to get that image from your mind's eye to actually create that image?
3: Um, It didn't take me too long to realize how I needed to work with the light I like I said in my those really first shoots I had a, a speed light which yeah. I would often bounce um outside uh you can't bounce a speed no. light
0: um,
3: so that didn't work and I didn't really like using the flash directly um pointed towards them so yeah. then I tried diffusing the flashlight and I didn't really like the look that gave and then I started started kind of working out that oh I quite like the natural light look and I quite like it when I get a shoot that's happening at sunset um and kind of it all kind of just started coming together then I so I would work natural light I was shooting in the golden hour sort of times um wherever I possibly could and then um and yeah and then it just kind of developed through through there and you know as technology improved with digital over the years I could shoot natural light at a higher iso and and um and then i could do action shots at at twilight and even going into the blue hour sometimes i would still be like using the very last drops of light of natural light that i could and i still will kind of do that um now as well really kind of push the the limits of the of the gear i'm using and and work with the natural light as much as possible
2: so is this still you're still on on living on on the island at this point
3: no uh so uh, oh well at 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 that point it was coming to the time when I was about to leave actually when I was really kind of finding my my groove with everything
2: yeah uh, so you're on this island 60,000 people w- were yeah. you the uh the pet photographer of choice on the island had you kind of <laughs>
3: Mil- I, I don't know if pet photography was really a thing then. And the right. reactions I used to get from people when they asked me what kind of photography I do was, uh, all sorts of, uh, weird noises and. People um, thought that was odd. And, and repetitive, repetitive comments like you're a what? a, dog a what? Photographer, <laughs> a what? I photograph dogs. Oh, right. Is that really a thing sort of, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, I don't know of anybody else on the Island that was doing it at that time. Yeah. Um, I think I was the only one. Um, and, yeah, and then we kind of up sticks. and. So who's we? Me and my partner, uh-huh. Chris. Um, so we went travelling, um, did a couple of years travelling, and then we went back to Guernsey and went, oh, hang on, why did we come back to Guernsey? This isn't so much fun after all. After you've been travelling and saw the wild world. Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean, like I said, Guernsey is a really beautiful place, it but it is quite isolated, mm-hmm. and for a young gay couple, it yeah. be not so much fun. It wasn't um, fun. No, no, it, it, it's uh, we we did um, we did get a fair bit of homophobic abuse back then. Um, so so we we worked on getting our visas to come to New Zealand. So we'd been to New Zealand on our travels and we really liked it here. You know, that was a big part of it too and we 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 worked on getting our visa, we moved here. The um the first thing we did when we when we moved here was we had a civil partnership ceremony mm-hmm. uh in Queenstown on a mountain in the snow and Beautiful. did that thing and it was amazing. And then and then it was um yeah, then it was time to kind of find work and so at this point in time I'm still working as a photographer part-time and working in photographic retail which is exactly what I did when I got to New Zealand as well so I started working in photographic retail I went back to work for the business that I'd worked for when I was on my working holiday here actually so just Um, on
2: that Craig sorry to cut you off um how important was having that uh job as backup while you were
3: growing your business Um, at the time, I guess it was really important because Mm. I had a steady income that I could rely on. Yeah. Um, and then I guess in hindsight, I wish I'd have left the retail side of things a lot sooner and really kind of pushed myself. Why was that? Oh, it was for a combination of reasons, I guess. I, I guess, um, I stopped enjoying the retail side of things. Um, so work became a a mission, it was not something I enjoyed anymore and that was, that started getting um, a bit harder to deal with, I I was, um, I I loved working in the retail side of things because I loved to talk to people about camera gear and do all of that kind of, um, that side of things, I loved to still see the new gear coming in, I still really enjoyed working in the labs and and then that, I don't know if there was a, a trigger that kind of happened that meant that that kind of went away, but I just stopped enjoying the, the retail side of things. Um, but I stayed because it was regular. Um, and then I had um, I had the success with the books with Quake Dogs and Quake Cats. All right, the- so we're
2: talking, uh, what, what year did you move
3: to New Zealand? Uh, so we moved to New Zealand in 2009.
2: And nine. Okay, so you leave your beautiful little island, yeah, uh, sixty thousand, and you move to Christchurch. Is that right?
3: Correct. Two
2: thousand and nine. Uh, so you've got your part time. Was it full time or part time that you worked in the retail?
3: Industry?
0: Full-time. So I was full time. So for-
2: full time oh. job, and you're growing your um, photography business part time, and yes. then. Uh, is it September 2009? What happened?
3: Uh, the earth uh, started shaking quite a bit. So you're are oh, you living like in Christchurch City? September 2010.
2: To September um, 2010 yeah. was that earthquake. Yeah. So you're living in Christchurch City. How living far
3: from the epicentre of the quake were you when it happened? Uh, that first initial one was centred um, – just a bit outside of the city, yeah. Um, but it was—we're uh, all kind of mini seismologists. Everybody that lives in Christchurch now, and yeah. so again, like looking back, it was a—it was a shallow depth, and um, and it was pretty strong magnitude. It was a seven point one.
2: Hmm.
3: Um, I mean, it was a miracle that nobody died in that first. So nobody one. died. Was there much damage in that first quake? Do you know, we were, I was completely naive to this when I, when I left that, when I left house. So it happened at four o'clock in the morning on a Friday. Yeah. Uh, and so we were in bed and, um, actually just seconds before it started shaking, um, one of my cats jumped onto my chest and licked my eyes. To wake you up. And I, he's never done that before. He's never done it since. Oh um, God. but he woke me up, and then the shaking started happening. I just managed to scramble out of bed to flick the light switch on, and as I flicked the light switch on, the power went, so it was dark. Yeah, and and Chris and I just looked, just turned to each other and said, "Is this an earthquake?"
2: So, so you're not, you can't. It's happening, and you can't actually work that, out in your head what's going on. There's that moment of confusion.
3: And we were never really exposed to that living in Guernsey, no. you know. And, and, of course, we know that earth, earthquakes, uh, New Zealand is a is an earthquake-prone country, but we'd never been in an earthquake or know what it feels like. So we had some elderly neighbours. We went out to check on them. Yeah. They had a wind-up radio still, yeah. um, so they were able to listen to the radio, and that's when the reports started coming in that it was a 7.1. Wow. And I didn't know much about earthquakes, but I knew that 7 was quite significant. Yeah. Um, But we didn't have any damage at home. Um, Everybody on our street seemed fine. It was just the power was out. And, and, you know, I guess you can expect that. Um, So when I went to I got up the next morning to go to work, one of the things that they don't really mention in the news about earthquakes either is how big and how frequent the aftershocks can be, because the whole night was shaking. So I was exhausted and I was emotional and I'm a bit of an emotional person at the best of times anyway. But we were driving to work and going down one of the main roads, um, we could see that some of the buildings were damaged, which really surprised me because I just thought everything would be okay because our house was okay. Yeah. And I burst into tears and I said to Chris, I can't go to work today. I don't want to go to work today. And then we got to the street where the the shopping mall is, where our, our retail store was in the shopping mall. And we couldn't get anywhere near the mall. They wouldn't let us in. So, um, so that was that. The mall was closed for the day. They had to do the structural checks and everything. But everything was okay. Everybody was back in the next day. Nobody had got hurt or or any significant damage. Although you know there were a few buildings that were worse off than others. And then then in that February two thousand and eleven, we had the six point three magnitude quake, which was shallower and closer to the city, which did a lot of damage and uh, a lot of people died. And and I was in, I was in the shop in the mall. Um, when it happened, it, you were in the shop. When it, when it happened, it was at lunchtime. It was at 1251 at lunchtime. Uh, I was with a, a elderly lady helping her print photos at the photo kiosk. Yeah. And, uh, and it started shaking and, and the ceiling came down and the glass all burst on the camera cabinets and the smashed windows smashed and the sprinklers went off and, um I, I mean yeah i i genuinely thought that that was it um that we were going to die wow
2: um
3: but um we were lucky we got out um and um yeah um everything was okay well it wasn't okay but you know we were we were okay physically um and yeah,
2: so, so. F- from there the, the the book project was born. Do you want to tell us about how yes, that happened? So, so
3: so I um I had lots of messages from previous clients who I'd been working with since I'd moved to Christchurch, and even people I didn't know who knew me on Facebook or whatever my my business on Facebook at least were were messaging me saying, "Hey, my dog is missing, or my animal's oh. missing, or I wonder if you would be able to help." Um, put a post up so we could find see if we could find them um, and then yeah clients were telling me different stories about what had happened and and so I kind of started putting together these this idea to to tell those stories yeah um, and at that point um, uh, Laura got in touch with me and and so she is was Laura thinking... the writer or so Laura is a writer mm-hmm. yeah And so she had had been collecting stories along similar lines as well and and wanted to do them. And so it kind of just seemed natural for us to to team up together. And and what resulted was was a book that we did together called Quake Dogs. So Um, can you
2: tell us one standout story from that collection of stories about uh, what happened to some of the animals during the
3: quake? There, there are so many but the, i guess the, one of the stories for for many reasons that stands out is, is are the stories of the search and rescue dogs that immediately went into the rubble in the aftermath and um and saved people's lives um and and and, and even the lives that they couldn't save they were instrumental in in finding bodies so that those families could could say their goodbyes and um yeah and put their their families and loved ones um to rest, I guess. Um, and another reason that the, the, that those um, stories um stick out is still um, it still seems so fresh in in my mind that um so i I did the shots and um we wanted to be respectful, but at the same time we also wanted to try and get into that kind of central city and and shoot images which we could make look like the working dogs were working. Yeah. Uh, there was absolutely no way that that was going to be possible. The city had a very strict red zone. There was absolutely no access to anyone for any reason. So we went along to one of the training days for the USAR dogs um and we watched that and I photographed it. And then at the end of the session they said, "Hey, what about um if you if you go into the so they've got this like rubble everywhere. Like they've built this almost almost like a massive kind of set i guess yeah just rubble like a fallen building and they've built these kind of caves into the into the rubble and you know reinforce them with um uh shipping crates and all of that sort of thing and mm-hmm. and all of that so they said oh do you want to go in and we'll set a dog off and you know he'll he'll find you and just um in that kind of moment when i was photographing the dog finding me hiding in this cave um, and just barking like crazy and frantically knowing uh, that he'd found somebody and you know in that moment I was like oh my god this is this is what it feels like for those people who are trapped
0: wow. that those
3: dogs found and saved and that in that instance you know that that dog barking means that you're going to be okay and you're going to make it like I'll never forget that experience. Wow. Just once talking about it. Yeah, is, um, it was it was a really powerful moment to to know the amazing work that those animals do um, to to get people out of situations like that.
2: Beautiful creatures. So the the, the book came about, and it was a yep. bestseller. It was on the bestseller list for quite a while,
3: wasn't it? Yes, yeah, several months. It did really well. And that's it, amazing. It kind of outperformed really any of our spectate expectations i think um and um and then following on from that quake quake cats happen and, yeah. I, and i i did quake cats on my own i wrote and photographed it but as a combination with those two books and um, the the sales from those have raised uh, pretty close to Forty thousand now for charities that, that's that helping animals in the earth after the earthquakes. Yeah,
2: that's amazing. Congratulations on that. that that's that's- a, a beautiful story. So, all right. So you've created these uh, beautiful books, and then so we're talking two thousand and eleven now. And then, are you still working at the camera store at this point?
3: Yeah. So all throughout doing the books, I was, (laughs) I was squeezing in the shoots on my days off and uh, taking annual leave and whatever to, to go. And um, I mean, we traveled a little bit to do that because some of the people had left Christchurch after the earthquakes with their animals. So we went to Auckland and, um, you know, like the police dogs that came from Auckland, we went up there to do photographs of them and, and that sort of thing as well. Um, so I used it all up, but I was still working full-time, um, still building up the private clients, uh, working on the books um, and just squeezing as much work in to every waking hour as possible. Um, I, I was doing um, some editing and things like that in between customers at the shop and, yeah. you know, whatever I could do, I was doing it, yeah. So and it's, it's like, like you
2: had full you were two full-time jobs, really, growing that business yeah. on the side, yeah.
3: Yeah, pretty much was. And, and um, my my boss was really supportive through the process. So that was that was really good. Um, and then, yeah, come come the the time when uh, Dog's Life came along, which is the third book I did. Um, it was kind of around then I got ill as well at that point, and And I was kind of thinking, I'm not really enjoying being in the retail anymore. Um uh, and at that point even though even though the books had had a lot of um a, a lot of benefit for my boss at the time um her uh, her support was a little bit less i guess the third time around um I, with me having time off and that sort of thing right um and and so it kind of um after i did that that, that kind of then pushed me to go
0: mm so,
3: so
2: that was the catalyst to, to say, all right, I'm going to take that leap and back yeah. myself and go and, out and, on my own.
3: And I'd had, um, I, like I said, I was sick at that time as well. I yep. had a blocked kidney and um, through the whole kind of year that I was making a dog's life, I was going through the process of diagnosis and uh, all of that sort of thing. And at one point they thought I might have to have the whole kidney removed. Right. Um, and, and then – it turned out that it was okay. It was a blockage. Uh, I had I had the blockage fixed. And once I'd got well from that, I kind of looked back on that last year and went, actually, I was quite sick. Yeah. But I kept going. And, and I guess that was kind of the real fuel for me to then go, actually, I don't really want, I'm not enjoying the retail side of things anymore. Uh, so now I really need to push myself into being full time with my own business and giving that the priority that that it really needs.
2: So that moment where you decided to um, leave that, the comfort of having that uh, regular income and go out on your own, how did that feel? And like, how, how did you, how did you cope through that time? Was it tough in well, the initial months or did you just go was, in and work harder? And uh,
3: um, Well, I, I guess it was everything. Like it was exhilarating. It was exciting um i was um i was just absolutely beside myself that i could finally be a full time photographer yeah, yeah. um i was terrified i was nervous i was worried about the financial side of things um and i think i was maybe a little bit delusional as well because <laughs> i thought hey i've been doing basically two full time jobs for the last few years yeah and um you know if i can do a full time job in a shop and do all these books which have got hundreds and hundreds of hours of work into them then when I go full time I can just kind of go for coffees I can meet with friends during the day I can go to the gym and do some like uh, exercises and go to yoga yeah uh, well of course the reality is not that at all because I ended up still spending 80 hours a week working as it was so it didn't didn't free me up any free time but, but, but what's the difference
2: between working that eighty hours on your own business and giving half
3: of that time to someone else's business? Oh, uh, I guess just knowing that what you're doing is for you, yeah. and um, and, and everything, you know, is is a is benefiting what you're doing exactly. And and you know, I like I said, I love doing my retail stuff, but uh, ultimately, when you when you look at it. Um, I'm working for X amount of hours a day and I'm getting paid X amount of dollars an hour and then I'm putting X amount of dollars into somebody else's pocket with exactly. all the money, you know, I'm making sales for in the shop and whatever. So um, so to be able to do that for myself um, was was a really awesome thing to be able to do.
2: Fantastic. That's a great story. So I want to now get into your head and talk about how you uh, plan your shoots uh, today and yep. uh, just the thought process and uh, how, how you actually do them. So so, um, do you have a studio?
3: Um, not really. I have a consultation space, which yes. I have yes. made made work as a studio. Um, but not really.
2: So the majority of your shoots, uh, with, with the dogs and cats happen on location. So either at the, yeah. the owner's home or out on a location that you will choose. Yeah, so, so let's talk about the, the, walk me through the thought process that goes into one of your shoots. So, uh, yeah. if I was to commission you to photograph one of my pets, uh, what, what would happen? Would I... Uh, let's say if I uh, said I want you to photograph Fluffy, my cat. That's not my cat's name, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> if I wanted uh, photog- photographs of Fluffy, and I say to you, "Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, I want you to photograph my cat on a, a you know a, a, a lounge chair out in the countryside." Would you do that, or would you come in with your own ideas? Is it a collaboration? How I'm, does it work?
3: I, I'm I'm quite happy to collaborate. Um, absolutely I think from the client point of view a lot of the times they don't have the ideas so they Uh want you like a a lot of my clients come and they they don't even have an idea for a location yep um they just want photos of of their dog or or whatever their cat um cats are a a different thing um because most of the time it's at at somebody's home yeah so I'll I'll kind of um i'll get them to send photos of their homes i'll see which rooms have got the most natural lighting um that we can use there you know i tell them make sure that the cat is at home because if the cat has free access outdoors and i turn up to the shoot <laughs> and it's decided nice to be wandering for the day <laughs> then we're all wasting our time um and, and um yeah, so that's the process with a cat, really. So, but with so a... most
2: of these, because often you're traveling great distances, so you can't, you don't always have the luxury of being able to go and um, scout the location no, beforehand. Not so, always. so photography so, yeah. helps you with that, and maybe are you using any other tools like Google Maps to have a look around the area? What else? Yeah, what I
3: is... have a good look on Google Maps, yeah. and you know, on the satellite mode on there, um, and then um, I've got. Um, I've got another app that I use, which I'm trying to find because I can not remember. Oh, Sun Seeker. Yep. Um, which I've I've been using more recently actually, um, which allows you to kind of put in a location and work out where the sun's going to be and things like that. So. Um,
2: so you're planning time of day so you're like the yeah. client isn't saying okay oh, we we are available from four o'clock till five o'clock. Are you saying okay, I will be here at this time this is when we're doing the shoot. are you you dictating
3: when the shoot I, happens? Yes, I do dictate Good. when the shoot happens so I'm shooting an hour and a half to two hours before sunset usually right uh, and um, yeah so, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the location and, and yeah, if it's an out of town shoot, then that's what I'll do. I'll use the apps and Google and all the rest of it. Um, of course here in Christchurch, I I've got the benefit of knowing a lot of good locations, right. but uh, I always, so I send out a, a questionnaire to the clients so they can fill it out. And so it tells me, you know, what, what they like to do with their dog, where they like to go, if the dog likes swimming or if it likes walking in the hills or, you know, all of those things. Um, and so for me, it's really as much as possible. Um, it's really about finding out from the clients what they love to do with their dogs. Yes. Um so we're gonna, we're not gonna go to the beach and shoot at the beach if their dog has never set foot on the sand. Before. <laughs>
2: and it's scared to the death. You put it down it. on the sand, and it's going. What well, is this? We've got
3: that situation. That's that's quite possible that will happen as well. But it's just not really um, relevant to their life. Yeah. So I want to make sure that that the images have got that. I guess that sense of belonging.
2: That, yeah.
3: That it's a celebration of what. What their dog is and who their dog are, is and and who they are as a family with their with their furry animals, right? With their, with their pets, um, so so their images have a bit more meaning to them than just a, a pretty photo at a pretty location. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, and that's uh,
2: so important because, yeah, because like every time they'll look at that image, they'll go, "Well, you know that that, that was the dog's favourite spot, or it means something to them." Um, yeah, and of course. Yeah,
3: and that, I mean, again, that, I guess that is a consideration because um, you know they 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 don't live as long as we do. That we all suffer the loss yeah. of an animal at some point in yeah. time, and so I want them to be able to look at that that image when when that happens and say well that was their favorite place we we loved being here we loved going there and doing these things together um so that that's a big part of it as well i guess yeah all
2: right so you're you're really hands-on in planning the location and the time of day which is so crucial and a lot of uh photographers at a beginning will let the client dictate they'll say yeah look yep. we need portraits of our dog uh we're available at midday till you know 2 2 p.m and so you know the poor photographers having to uh create something in in that time of day which is yep. like probably the worst time of day to shoot anything uh yep. so okay so you're you're guiding the gu- the client as to the best time and uh, giving suggestions as to the best location in terms of the actual shoot uh, what's your thought process there are you uh, a natural light photographer are you using uh, flash in your images and what's your preferred gear when you're shooting are you a long lens photographer do you shoot wide or do you allow the location and the dog and the to, to determine how you shoot the shot
3: okay so i i think i'm a um i often will say that i'm a walking contradiction yeah because um, uh, i i tend to like the extremes of things yeah so i am i'm shooting with mostly with a 70 to 200 at 200 mil so what camera uh, are you using and uh, so i'm using with that lens i have a canon 1dx mark ii Yep, beautiful um, and then I am. Are you shooting,
2: shooting on a tripod or handheld?
3: No, handheld. Like I've tried with tripods and it's like, it's just not working with dogs. Not but with dogs, worked. no. No, <laughs> no. Um, and so now I've become one of those really lazy photographers who goes, oh, does I need to, do I need a tripod to photograph this? Yeah, yeah. probably do. Okay, well, I won't bother then. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so I'm doing that. And then I also, so I'm a Fuji um, X ambassador as uh-huh. well. And so I have a GFX, medium format camera. So that's 50
2: so... megapixel sensor, right?
3: Yes, it is. It is.
2: And how is the focus? I've been looking at that camera,
3: actually. Yeah. How is the focus on that? So um, the focus is definitely slower. Slower than the 1DX that you're used oh, to? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not a camera designed to shoot action or sports by the
2: yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 okay. a deliver, it's a portrait camera, really. You, you, you want to be using it in a, a slow and methodical way. What I want to know is so, when you pull up the file, if you did the exact yeah. sh- same shoot on the 1DX Mark II uh, versus the exact same shot on, on the GFX, is it GFX? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how much more detail are you getting on the Fuji
3: medium format? Um a lot is the easy answer a lot
2: fifty per cent like you could zoom in on the eye and it's just oh, like
3: chalk like- and cheese it's like you could reach in and touch the fur like the detail and the quality I don't know I want um, one
2: I've like I've just people... and I need someone to convince me to pull the trigger because <laughs> the the portrait images and like this is the first I've ever heard of someone doing it with pet photography but the portrait images I've seen with this camera and it just looks it looks incredible and it's uh weight wise so the the 1dx mark ii with the 70 to 200 strapped on is like that's a heavy camera yeah, to carry around heavy. what's
3: yeah. the what lens are you using what's the equivalent okay. lens you're so using I do, I do kind of i do most of the shots where i've set the dogs up in a in a pose of some description with so it's the gfx
2: static so, so you do the heavy, static ones on the gfx so.
3: Yes, I do. Yeah, right. So, and for that, I'm using the 23 mil, which is kind of like a 16, 17 mil equivalent on full like frame. quite
2: wide, right?
3: So yeah, so it's either, like I said, contradiction. It's either 200 mil or super wide. Um, so with that, I like to shoot and get some of the background in, but be nice and close to the dog so that they're nice and big in the frame and and work like that. Um, and so yeah, like the the um, the detail is unbelievable. Um, uh, and I um I find the focusing is absolutely fine for doing that stuff. I've yeah, tried to shoot action with it, really kind of pushing it to its limits and yeah, yeah that's not gonna happen and, and I realised that and I realised that when I got the camera. And and uh, lots of my friends um, uh, photographers said to me when I when I got the GFX or why why are you spending so much money on on this camera and um you know It's your- about your clients ten grand and...
2: with the with the lens that camera. What's that? Sorry. The the GFX with with a lens. It's about around yeah. ten
3: grand, is it? Oh, it was. Well, it was more when it was launched. So yep. I think it was probably closer to seven. Well, in New Zealand anyway, seventeen. I mean, our dollars aren't that different now, but um, around about seventeen with the lens when it was launched, I think, which was when I got it. Right. But now wow. I think you can get the GFX and and a lens for. Under ten, yeah. Um, I mean, which really puts it on par with with full frame, you know. it's well, you're the one DX D five anyway.
2: The one DX Mark II is about eight as a body only, right?
3: Yeah, I think yeah. so, round about there. Mm. So, um, so yeah. And they said, oh, well, you know, you're never going to be able to um, get your clients to buy into this whole medium format thing. And I was like, well, I don't, I, I don't care if my clients buy into it or not, yeah. because first of all. I um I want to be able to offer the best that I can possibly offer to people.
2: Yeah.
3: Which includes the quality of the images. And yeah. having seen the quality of the images, I can't deny the quality that's there and the detail yeah. that's in those files. Um, but also you've got that whole medium format thing where, where, you know, as an as even as a non-photographer without the kind of technical knowledge behind you, you can look at an image and go, there's something about that yeah which looks different yeah and you can't put your finger on it but there's something there which which draws your attention and that that's that kind of medium format feel I think so uh, I think that the clients do notice that and they do see that and it's it's and I think since I've been using it I have had several clients go God, these images are so clear and yeah. you know I, I'm doing artworks for clients sort of I my smallest size that I print for clients is 16 by 24 inches right. that's the, the smallest I offer so when you're going to that size or you know I, it's it's not unusual for me to do something two or three times that size as well just the amount of detail that that comes out in the print it it just looks amazing
2: yeah, so you're getting, uh, and you've also got that uh, extended tonal range that you'll get on the medium format, so you can pull mm. out a lot more detail out yeah. of your highlights raw and shadows.
3: File. I mean, raw files are huge, and I had to buy a new computer because mm. my old one couldn't handle it. But, but the the I mean the raw file, the detail in the files that you can pull, um, you know, I can pull four four or five stops of detail out of an image easily, and it's and it you know it looks like. It's clean. It's noise free. It's it's just brilliant. I love it.
2: So it's very deliberate, slow uh, work process when you're shooting on the medium format, as opposed to uh, like when you're doing
3: using the one DX, the long
0: long yeah, lens. Yeah, it's, you're, it's you're, slower. The action, yeah, slower.
3: Um, but but um, but yeah, it, it is more kind of I'm going to use this camera for these shots, and this is what I want to do, sort of thing. Definitely.
2: Okay. The dogs. Are you only photographing well-behaved dogs? Oh, God,
3: no. <laughs> How the hell well, do you get them to behave maybe, themselves? Maybe, if, that, if, if I'm lucky. Yeah. Um, no, they're everyday pet dogs. They do naughty things. Yeah. They don't listen. Um, you know, they run around. And I think every single time I'm on a shoot, the owners think that their dog is the worst behaved dog that I would have ever met. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's never true. Yeah. Um, well, almost never, I suppose. Um, <laughs> sometimes they are just really naughty. So how hard
2: just, are you working to get those images? Like, so, I, so you've yeah. obviously nailed the um, the technical part of it, and that's probably by this point, 15 years in, that's completely intuitive. You know what you're doing on that, that yeah. part of it. How hard are you working to get those shots?
3: It really depends on the dog on the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to work really hard. And um, so, a, and by I hard.
2: Th- what sort of stuff are you doing? And I know it would be different yeah. because I just know what how much effort I put into getting a you know an authentic laughing shot. Yeah, uh, and and what goes on behind the scenes to inject that in- energy into a, a a good portrait. So what goes on behind the scenes for a a,
3: a pet shoot? Uh, lots of bribery. Yeah um so we have a variety of treats Mm. and if if um and again i ask in in the questionnaire like if the dog is allergic to anything or if they're fussy the the client brings their own treats but i always have a variety of treats with me to try different things um and then uh, i have lots of squeaky toys balls um uh, and then, of course, the one that everybody loves the most is that I'm just making crazy noises myself. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm 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 meowing or barking, barking. or mooing yep. or yep. squeaking or whatever myself.
2: And you're changing um, it up because obviously the dog yeah, gets used to it and it eventually gets an
3: expression on its they face, do, like they I've, I've heard been... a noise two times. Then and, and and you know they go, oh yeah, I've heard that noise before. I'm not interested in it again now. So, so you've probably find- got
2: this whole repertoire of uh, animal noises.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I sound like a crazy person when I'm yeah. when I'm lying in the sand with waves splashing over me, making crazy noises. Yeah. Um, but um, but whatever you need to do to get the job done, right? Uh, and so some dogs some dogs are really noise responsive some dogs couldn't care less about the noise that you make some dogs are really food motivated some dogs are not so it's really about working through um, those things as quickly as you can to establish what that dog is interested in Um, one of the other things I like to do if I'm at home um in Christchurch is I like to meet the dogs before I'll shoot them so the clients will come to the consultation space and and bring the dogs with them so I can kind of gauge their personalities and how you know how I'm going to work with them a little bit before the shoot
2: because they're like people really They they all dogs have a different personality and so there will be some that you can be uh, more outgoing on the shoot and I guess yeah. it's like working with an introverted yeah. personality rather than an extroverted person there is a way that you can speak to those dogs right
3: yeah absolutely and and you do you just have to work and find out what way what is that way mm. um, and yeah if you've got a shy and quiet and timid dog yeah you know, you're not going to be waving colorful toys in the air and and shouting out of it. Yeah. At it because you know it's going to be absolutely terrified and you know, and absolutely no way if you're making the dog scared of you that you're going to be able to work with it and get a shot that the client is going to genuinely love.
2: So you're matching uh, the dog's energy
3: most of the time, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and and again, but you you know you can you can again get a real good feel, uh, I guess, after having a lot of experience with it and done some dog body language training and all of it. You've done you bo- dog body language training a bit, and and when you can't, yeah. Um, so, you know, if the dog is a fairly high-energy dog, but you want to just get a little bit more of it, I, I know that I can push it a little bit. If they're really inquisitive or um, super intelligent or, you know, quick learners or whatever, you can get them really quickly to to learn that if you want them to stand on that log over there, it's okay, it's safe, and they'll, you know, they'll do it quickly. So you're kind of training on the fly a little bit as well. Yeah. So there's lots more kind of uh, – things around working with the actual dog that I have to have in my mind rather than that kind of technical side of, have I got the right exposure or not? So, um, so that's where I guess with the experience I've had, it's good because really the technical side is second nature now. And I know that if I'm, I mean, I shoot everything manual now, Yeah. Um, so you know, I change my aperture and my shutter speed, and I know I know that I'm going to have the right exposure in a certain light condition, so that I can focus on getting the best out of the dog in every single shot. Um, yeah, and that,
2: and that all comes down to experience and having done like a certain, like probably thousands by this point in time of uh, of shoots with pets. So, yeah. what what advice would you give a beginner photographer who's just starting out? Uh, They may have their own dog at home or they want to get into dog photography. What what are some ways that they can uh, hone their skills doing that? What would you recommend?
3: Um, So there's a few things I'd say. uh, First of all um, is get some knowledge of dogs and how they think and how they work and and what their body language looks like. Uh, I'm a really big advocate of that. I, I really Think that unless you know how the dog is feeling or can predict um you know what they're feeling then then it's harder for you to get the best out of them um because things that you're doing that you might think are good might actually be reinforcing bad behavior or something and making your job more difficult and right. um so getting some good knowledge of that um definitely get to know the gear and be able to use your gear with one hand because most of the time you're going to have a squeaky toy or a treat in the other. So you need to be able to use your gear one-handed. So
2: you're holding so, your 1DX one hand? Yes. Yes, I do.
3: Respect. Yeah, and so, you know, I, and often, often I'll be shooting at quite high shutter speeds as well for that reason, like yeah. 1,500 um, of a second or, or higher, um, just just to help out with that a little bit. Yeah um so yeah so absolutely get to know your gear be able to use it one-handed um and that sort of thing and then um a, a kind of I, I like to get down low so I always say um if you're not if if you can get lower you're not low enough so right. like I'm nearly always lying on the ground like I, I think that if you get down onto the dog's level like yeah. you're immersing yourself into their world and then the, yeah. the images are more intimate and more Uh, true and bring out their personality that little bit more so yeah get down low lower lower lower
2: fantastic and and just finally how much uh editing are you doing of your images Uh, so do you are you doing double exposures where you'll have the owner with the dog on a lead or are you just getting them to um
3: uh pose without leads i'm a very very lazy editor so so i will do everything i can do to not have to edit people and leads out of an image right Um. so that's kind of a last resort for for me yeah And i mean there are locations where you go that of course it's not safe for the dogs to be yeah. off lead or whatever so then yep. you end with more work so in those situations yeah i'll take a second exposure so i can merge it and, and edit out nice and easily yeah um but yeah, and, and then my my kind of my editing process is is fairly basic and straightforward as well. I, I'll do as, I'll do pretty much everything in Lightroom. Um, so I'll do all my color corrections, uh, shadows, highlights, contrast, saturation, sharpening, all of that in Lightroom. And then I just take the image into Photoshop to finish it off. So often I'll add a little bit of extra sharpness to the dog's fur just yeah. to make it stand out a little bit more. And, yeah. you know, just a little bit of sparkle in the eyes just to um, just to finish them off. And, uh, I, oh, and one thing that I hate when I see images from professionals who are photographing pets, uh, just a real pet hate of mine, is yeah. if they fly eye bogies. What's that? Like the dirt in the dog's eyes, like yeah. the crusty, sleepy bits. yeah those those have got to go you can't edit so you, those. Out.
2: so eye boogers so, have to go
3: eye boogers
2: have to go and how <laughs> often are there eye boogers in a dog's oh, eye
3: there is nearly always so well, do, i've learned to remove it when i'm shooting now do but you, occasionally I don't, and you know, then I've got more editing to do because I have to take them out. But um, but yeah, take those out, please.
2: So, do you send out a um, a prep sheet for your pet owners like that? That obviously the dog needs to be uh, well groomed and it's just had a, a clip or a um, you know a wash and yeah, all of
3: that. I have a guide that I send out before the shoot. So, uh, so it's got the things that they should do to prepare, what they should expect to, to that will happen on the shoot, yeah, um, and what happens afterwards when they'll have their sneak peeks on Facebook, when they'll come in for their image premiere and, you know, buy the images and all the rest of it. So I have a, I have a sheet that I, I send out with all that info on it.
2: And how uh, do you get rid of iBoogers in post? Is that clone stamp?
3: Clone or patch, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I've learned something yeah. new. It, to I know. mean, it's
3: not difficult. It's pretty easy to do it, and it takes a couple of seconds. So,
2: so now we're all going to be looking out at fo- at, yeah. at pet f- photos with eye boogers in them, and go, "Oh,
3: that's a big no-no." Yeah, Craig uh, said I, I don't, uh, that's just one of my pet hates. I just yeah, it drives me crazy when I see photos with the with the eye boogers still in them.
2: Well, it's all those little one percenters that take the images yeah, to the next yeah. level,
3: yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And is There's it? Just,
2: it's always ears uh, up to make a dog look happy.
3: Not necessarily. Um, like you, uh, you, you sometimes will work with a breeder. And I did a shoot recently, um, with a Irish wolfhound and when an Irish wolfhound puts its ears up, it's just the cutest. They've got these tiny ears on this big head, but they are just so animated.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and so I worked really hard to get the ears up, to get the shots. And, and then the, the, the lady said, Oh, uh, um, I prefer it with his ears back. Because that's you know part of the the breed standard where um, where the ears are slick back behind the heads, so you know they don't want the ears up. So there are definitely situations where it it doesn't it doesn't warrant having the ears forwards, or it doesn't necessarily mean that the dog's unhappy if the ears are back. Yeah. Um. So it really depends. Again, it really depends on the dogs as well. Every individual is different. Um, and yeah, some dogs will, will be quite happy and look quite happy with their ears back. Same with, um, like licking their lips, you know, licking the, a dog licking its lips can be a stress signal. Yeah. Or that they're in pain, isn't it? When they lick their lips. Yeah, it can be, it can be a lot of things, but of course, you know, when I photograph a dog and I've posted a picture of it licking its lips, then it's going to have just eaten a treat. Yeah. So it's not unhappy. Yeah. But, you know, I guess so then then context is becomes important because, you know, you could potentially say, oh, this dog is stressed because it's licking its lips. But you don't know that it's just eating a treat, which is, again, a perfectly normal thing for a do, for a dog to do when it's had a treat. Um, so, you know, it, it all, all goes down to that that kind of context thing as well.
2: And what about uh, smile and no smile? So, like, when a dog's, like, you know, p- panting and happy or as yeah. opposed to doing yeah. uh, blue um, steel to the camera. What, that's like a,
3: That's another big one as well, like, uh, and especially um, especially for commercial clients that I've worked with, i found that this is a big one. Like, if their tongues are drooping, hmm. then a lot of commercial clients, that's a big no-no for them because often it can be, again, mistaken as a stress signal. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the reality of the situation might mean that he's just been running around for ten minutes and it's quite hot outside. Yeah. But also, you know, potentially he could be stressed. Right. So a lot of commercial clients I've found don't want images like that. They would much prefer the tongue to be poking out a tiny bit. Yeah. Or not at all. Yeah. Um, and that can be difficult to to achieve sometimes because if it is hot outside, then a dog's going to be panting. Yeah. So just knowing again like quite often to to get them to close their mouth you can quickly move a treat up up and down and you know on the up it's going to close its mouth because it's like oh attention there's something happening here and for a split second and you've got that split second to take the shot so so um, that's
2: all you one-handed uh, so you wouldn't have an assistant doing that holding the toys behind mm-hmm. you
3: not, not always. Sometimes I will. And sometimes I'll get the owners to stand over me when I'm laying on the ground or, yeah. or that sort of thing to bring their attention. But um, I, I guess if I can, I don't know, I feel a more genuine connection and yes. a more genuine image if I can do that myself. So then they are actually looking at me yeah. and not just fake looking at me where some, you know, they're not quite gazing right at the camera. It might be just off, but it's close enough to not really make anybody notice.
2: So it's like the direction you're controlling where they're looking and uh, you're controlling the energy of the shot and then you'll you will know the exact moment the right moment to to uh, yeah. take, take that and, shot. And,
3: that, and that's again that's where I think kind of knowing their body language comes in really handy because then you can start to predict what's going to happen next. Yeah. And prepare for that rather than always be on the back foot going oh um you know I wonder if it's going to do this. You can go, okay, so he's just done this behavior, and normally when this behavior happens, this behavior follows. So I'm going to prepare for what follows now, so I'm ready for it. You know, like they come out of the water and they'll shake their fur. That's a really obvious one. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if you don't know them well enough to know that when a dog that's wet comes out of the water, it's going to shake itself to get dry – you, you um, won't be ready you'll miss the shot you be ready to get those shots yeah. exactly so uh, so yeah like i said that one's a, a kind of a really obvious example but but little things like that and again like things like you give it a treat then it's most likely going to lick its lips after it's eaten it those sorts of things are, are all kind of and, little things that you can know about the dog's body language and behavior to predict for to help you with getting those shots that are a little bit better
2: and is this stuff that you learn on the job or is this did you did you read a book or is there a, a, a tutorial somewhere that shows uh, you, teaches you about dog behavior?
3: It's a bit of a mixture. Like I've done a few online courses, I've done I've read a couple of books and, and picked stuff up as I go. Um yeah. uh, you know, some stuff is quite breed breed specific so if you're working with a a staffy or a pug and you do a certain thing then you pretty much can guarantee that this breed is going to react in this way to this thing right so that's just what you pick up as you go and just you know you kind of make those links Uh, you know pugs staffies border collies they're usually quite good head tilters they'll give you a nice head tilt yeah Um, if you make a noise if you make the right noise at them so that that's that's kind of stuff that you just pick up as you go but but absolutely yeah there's there's definitely stuff online about body language that people can look up um and just kind of yeah just get that kind of basic dog behavior knowledge behind you if you want to be working with dogs for sure
2: fantastic craig craig i could talk to you all day about this stuff it's just uh so interesting now um where can people find you if they want to uh, check out your work? And I do encourage everyone to to uh, check out your your website and have a look through your images.
3: Okay, so you can find me on Facebook, uh, Photography NZ,
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, Instagram, same thing, uh, Photography NZ. Uh, I don't really use Twitter very much, although I do have an account. But mostly it just feeds from my other accounts. Yep i'm using linkedin a little bit um so you can just find me there um craig turner bullock um and that's that's really the the three social media platforms i use the most um you can check out my website www.photography.co.nz and i would love for people to have a look on my blog at my dog is love series as Uh well just, just quickly,
2: I, yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of you. you know, you've got to go pack undies and things like that. Can you just quickly tell us about that? Because I, I, this just melts my heart, this whole okay. series.
3: Yeah, so um, Dog is Love is a series of images that I've produced which are basically doggy couples, and it's a, I, I, I made them with the intention of it being a, a celebration of love and diversity and equality really. Um, so there's, there's lots of different pairings. I have, uh, two boy dogs, two girl dogs, yeah. a black, dog, a white dog, yes. um, a, a dog with three legs and a, a fully four legged dog, um, old dogs, you know, just a whole lot of variety. Um, uh, uh, just showing that, you know, love is love and it doesn't matter if you, if you love somebody, it, um, it's all the same. It is. Th- these are just beautiful. Is this going to be a book? Oh, the, it has the, to the be dollar question. Um, when I started out doing these, I never kind of had that as an intention. Yeah. Um, yeah. but having started doing them, I do want to continue them. And my response to when I put the model call out for this was was crazy. I had, uh, two hundred and fifty or more. I think people sending me pictures of their two dogs. Um so um I would love to produce enough images in the series to yep. to do a book eventually. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: It's gorgeous. Um amazing. Your stuff is amazing. I love it. So thank you thank so you. much for chatting with us today and I wish you great uh success in the future
3: and yeah, thanks again. That's all right. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you. <laughs>
1: There we go, Craig Bullock. And, oh, like I said, I think his shots are just absolutely stunning. You can just see the personalities of all of these animals. I just love it, really yeah. love it. I'm a fan, for sure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, all right, so if you want to check him out, it's furtography.co.nz or if you're looking at Instagram, go to
2: furtography.nz. Now, what are you doing in the coming week, Gina? Oh, so it's a big week. Uh, another big uh, TV shoot. So, and they're kind of big shoots and turn a short turnaround. So that's going to take up most of my week. Uh, mm. Val, what about you?
1: Oh, what about me? Okay, so I have a. Uh, oh, I've got an exhibition in a week. Oh my Excellent. god! Excellent crept up on me yeah it's uh it's a group exhibition so it's not like I have to produce suddenly 30 pieces or whatever so it's a group exhibition for anyone in Sydney it's going to be in Balmain um and yeah I mean I'll have details on my social media but uh it'll be great to see you you're all invited to opening night which is on Thursday um when is it? Let me check.
2: So <laughs> we'll have a say. So you
1: Want to Be Photographer
2: meet-up at your exhibition, you Val. You could.
1: You could. It's on Thursday the 28th of March from 6 to 8 p.m. at uh, a gallery called Art Gallery on Darling in Balmain. But, yeah, Fantastic. I'll have that on my social media. And, it would be great
2: to see you. And your book, when's that, when you finish? Oh,
1: yeah. So I've been co-writing a book and we're yeah. sending it to the editor tomorrow and so it'll be a while before it's out because it's got to go through the whole editing process and the production process, but
2: that has been keeping me busy as well. Crazy. Oh, great. Oh, I forgot to mention, Val, uh, mm. I'll be speaking at the United Nations. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, sorry. Uh, the United Nations is a local cafe around the corner <laughs> and I go there and I speak to my friends. You know, that's kind of a big you deal. You mean you speak to your you friend
1: you speak to your friend Ted like when you do a Ted talk?
2: No, that was different, Val. I did a Ted talk, I spoke okay. to Ted, who lives up the road, okay? That was a big deal and so I've done a TED talk and now United Nations. They're going okay. in my resume. Awesome.
1: Alright. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> i love it
1: all right (laughs) where do we find you online gina when you're not speaking at the united nations
2: i'm at gina that's g-i-n-a-m-i-l-i-c-i-a all social media you can find me at gina militia i'm in the podcast facebook group so you want to be a photographer podcast community facebook group we should put a link in the show notes to that val and If you want to uh, connect with me in person uh, and you want to take your photography to the next level and that, even if you're a beginner and you're still shooting on auto, uh, I can help you take your photography to the next level. We have beginners, enthusiasts, and pros. We have people of all age levels there in the community. I love seeing people develop their photography and I love seeing where I can take you. So that's ginamilitia.com and click on Join the Community. What about you, Val?
1: You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram and you'll also find me at valeriekoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.